If you have a child with type 1 diabetes, whether they were diagnosed five days ago or five years ago, you continue to have questions. These are the questions about the emotional side of living with diabetes, the questions about how to parent diabetes. I'm Joanne Robb, a psychotherapist and fellow T1D mom, and I've been parenting diabetes for almost 15 years. In this podcast, I'm here to answer your questions about the emotional and relational challenges that come with being a caregiver for a child with type 1 diabetes. Before we dive in, I have to remind you that I'm not a doctor and nothing that I offer here should be considered medical advice. If you want to make any changes to the way you or your child is managing their type 1, please be sure to check in with your doctor or medical team. Let's get started. Hello and good morning and welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and your type 1 child. Let us know their age and how long it's been since diagnosis and then what question brings you here today that you would want to discuss? Great. Um, my name is Ellie Shepard, and I'm going to call my child M. M is now 11, and he was diagnosed in August of 2020. He was eight. Um, we were in the hospital in the emergency room and then the PQ um, on the first day of third grade, as it turns out. Um, so I want to say before he was diagnosed with diabetes, with type one diabetes, we had gone through about a year, two years of different kinds of testing. Cause his teachers were saying he's not quite academically at the right place and he's not dyslexic. He's not this, he's not that. So right before the pandemic, we got a positive on ADHD. And I had a second grader at home on a computer and I could see he just could not sit still. He was hopping all over the place. And so we started him on some um, ADHD meds and they seemed to help him focus. And I could just really see how he learned things that he hadn't, you know, he just wasn't calmed down enough. So fast forward, that was March, 2020. And in August, we ended up in the ER with a kid whose blood sugar was in the 900s. Mm. And um, once we came out of the hospital, once we got him on insulin and his insulin was regulated, we were looking regularly at his blood sugar and we forgot, we 100% just forgot about the ADHD medication because we were so in that world of all hands on deck for diabetes and food and carb counting and all of that. Um, when about a month in, and it was such a weird time because he was in school online. Mm -hmm. you know, we were all at home. I mean, honestly, it was kind of a blessing to get the diagnosis during the pandemic because we were home. Mm -hmm. We ate all our meals together. We were able to carb count. We were really able to figure that out. Yep. Um, fast forward, my son is, we're just super lucky. He has a Dexcom and he has a pump. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things the nurse told me early on when we got the Dexcom and it's been really helpful. There've been some really helpful things along the way. Um, one was that prior to there being this um, blood monitor, right? Mm -hmm. This continuous glucose monitoring, we would get five to 10 blood samples in a day, Yep. sort of see certain points along the line. But now that we see it every five minutes, 
we can see these vast up and downs, mm -hmm. you know, and if I put one on myself and I'm not diabetic, I would also see these highs and lows. Um, and that's, that for me has been really helpful to help me not panic about things and to know even when we have slept through some of the lows, his sugar comes back up, whether or not we respond immediately. So that's been great. Um, another helpful thing, Joanne, was you told me early on, I got in touch with you and you said, you might be horrified to hear this, Elisheva, but sometimes we look at a plate of food, we throw our hands up in the air and we say, 70, you know, <laughs> just have to kind of guesstimate. And at the time we were so precise about measuring. I didn't fully understand it, but it was one of those jewels that stayed with me and that now you know, we go to a restaurant or we do something and I say 70, you know, whatever it is. Um, and, um, we really, I think, okay. So I think we're, we're, um, resigned to and aligned with that. The blood sugar is going to go up and down. Mm -hmm. Um, for sure exercises has helped. We got a trampoline during the pandemic. And when my right. kid's blood sugar is high, I can tell him, you know, go out and jump. And it, for example, if he wants dessert and his blood sugar is high, he has to go jump and it, it helps. It's so profoundly astounding to me to just see how healthy, um, how good it is to exercise. So that's a thing that I hope that my family will take in. I think my, my issue, there are two, there are two, I will try to pinpoint it. One is sort of just family calm and not being on edge. I, I, um, really quickly learned that I needed to have my own nervous system um, not on high alert all the time with my kid and with everything that's going on. And so um, I really do take time to not think about him, to not think about sugar. Um, but it's, but it's taken some practice, mm -hmm. you know, um, especially when there are alerts in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. Um, the other big thing, so my kid is now in middle school, which means that we're also looking at a lot of hormones and a lot of um, back talk to mom, especially. But what I've noticed, I think that it is really blood sugar related is a lot of attitude and a lot of, um, it's almost like I imagine that when my kid's blood sugar is high, his brain gets super foggy or like his brain is on high alert. And I don't think that he functions well mm -hmm. or kind or um, on all cylinders. So we did all these years of testing for why my kid wasn't learning well. And then we found out he has diabetes and we were giving him insulin and we, we just got a sixth grade report card. And I noticed that his classes after lunch, mm -hmm. what, uh, he's doing the worst in his after lunch classes. And I also have noticed that his blood sugar really spikes mm -hmm. that he goes from, you know, a happy little 150, 140 mm -hmm. lunchtime. He's in the three hundreds mm. and I've written to his nurse at school to ask, can he give himself a bolus? You know, can he bolus when his second period is over? Can you just give him self 20 to 30 units and then come to the nurse and then get the insulin. Cause I think the time between he, when he goes and checks in with her and puts in the insulin to when he eats, mm -hmm. it's, 
I don't, I don't think we are miscalculating every day. I think that something's happening where the timing is wrong mm -hmm. and then he skyrockets and he can't get down from the skyrocketing. Yeah. So he goes to class and his brain is, you know, you can't see my hands if you're listening to a podcast, mm -hmm. but I'm just sort of stirring up the air here around my brain because I don't think that he, I mean, I know personally when I am with him and his blood sugar is high, he is sassy as all get out and he's just rude. Mm -hmm. And um, he doesn't always hear me. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that physically, you know, I haven't done the scientific research, but I think sort of physically and physiologically his brain, it's almost like there's a noise in his brain that gets super scrambled. So if I'm talking to him and his blood sugar is really high, he just cannot even totally hear me. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of the issue is what do I do in those times when I'm wanting to get mad, when his blood sugar is high and also my suspicion about all of it, he gets really mad if his blood sugar is high. I'm like, no, you can't eat whatever it is you want to eat. Last night is a good example. He had high blood sugar and I said, well, you can have chicken, but nothing else. Like, you know, I'll make you an egg. You can have a full carb-free dinner. And um, my kid likes to eat. Mm -hmm. my yeah. kid doesn't like having to have a carb-free dinner. So let's, let, I'm going to slow you down because you're naming a lot of different things. And so I just want to slow down. And actually one thing I just want to correct just for our listeners sake, is you said, and this is so small, this is almost irrelevant to everything you're saying, but I just want to correct. You had said uh, you were emailing the nurse to see if he could give. And what you said was 20 to 30 units. And I think you oh. meant 20 to 30 grams. Yes? I did. I okay. did. Okay. I just I, meant, yes, not yeah. units at all. Yeah. You're so right. Just like, could he put in that 20 right. carbs? And right. Yeah. That's what I not thought. Even, yeah. Yeah. Could he just say he's eating 20 carbs and then. Right. Start the process of getting um, Okay. Yeah. And in public school, apparently that's not what the orders are. So now we have to go through. Changing the orders with your endo. Yeah. Okay. Let's back up. So the, I, the first thing I want to address, this is not the question that you asked, but I want to name something very important that you mentioned, which is you said you're thinking about family calm and not being on edge. And you've made a practice of knowing that you need time stepping away from thinking about this, which is also one of the risks of the CGM, right? What that nurse told you is true. Actually, if we were to put a CGM on ourselves, we would not see such big swings. We would see swings, but not like on our kids. Like our blood sugar probably would never go over in a regular day over 140. And if you had a pile of donuts, maybe it would go to 180, right? But we wouldn't swing up above 200 for sure. Um, but you are absolutely right. And that nurse was absolutely right. Like when my son was diagnosed, we did many finger sticks a day. He was a pin cushion, but you only got this one moment in time. So you didn't see all the swinging. CGM technology is amazing, so helpful for identifying trends and helping us to intervene more quickly, right? And it does kind of jangle the nervous system yeah. because there's so much data that we expect that we should be able to respond to. So I love that you are aware of that, that while taking good care of your son, you are also knowing that it doesn't serve anyone for you to not take good care of yourself. 
And I think it's a lot of what I try to message in Sweet Talk is how important it is for us to figure out how to unhook ourselves from the bombarding technology that we have that, yes, of course we want it. We're so grateful to have it. And um, it can be pretty overstimulating. So I just want to give a nod to that, Elisheva, and not um, in the name of answering your question, overlook this really powerful and important thing that you're trying to do for yourself and your family. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Part of it was just reflected back to me when, um, you know, talking to friends, I went, I went to visit some family mm-hmm. and was talking about Max and what was going on in my family. It was like, wow, is that like 24 seven? Like, you know, whatever, whatever they were reflecting, they could see how my, my life just had this other channel mm-hmm. constantly. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was so helpful to have someone sort of hold a mirror up and say, I, I see that you are constantly running that channel. Yeah. Well, that's a gift because a lot of people don't have family or friends who are um, attentive enough to their experience as type one parents to be able to notice that and relationship enough to be able to take it in. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and also, frankly, if anyone had reflected that to me, um, I don't think I'd been able to take it in. Right. And I wasn't, I, maybe it was because I didn't have a CGM. Right. So I was anxious about those in between moments, but I was too anxious to be able to figure out that it was important for me to regulate my own nervous system, as you're saying. So Mm -hmm. I think that that's all really, um, wonderful that you're able, that you have those people who can reflect it, that they care enough to see it that you can take it in, right? All of those things feel really important. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So now I want to get to your question, right? Because your question has a few parts. Um, and and we can, we can problem solve answers to many of them. But um, what you're naming is something I have heard from other people and what I have definitely experienced in my daughter when she was younger. We always used to say that when she was high, she was mean as a snake. And she just was not herself when her blood sugar was high. I don't think that's uncommon. I think kids sometimes can learn to regulate it better as they grow, right? But it sounds like your child has already with ADHD on board, there's already some regulation issues, right? So it makes it a harder task for him. Oh, I also just wanted to clarify Mm -hmm. that some of my question about the ADHD symptoms Mm -hmm. that we were seeing, if we had thought to check his blood sugar, Mm -hmm. that somehow regulating his blood sugar actually has had a really good impact on the ADHD because he can Mm -hmm. focus so much better Mm -hmm. when his insulin is regulated. I think that was my point is that when we were going through all of the testing, it never occurred to us. No, I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Wonder about diabetes. And if we were to go do the ADHD testing with him with a steady blood sugar. Mm-hmm. I think, I think his childhood would have been very different. Mm. I think his ability to focus would have been very different. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't prove anything. We can't go back in time. I don't know what right. was going on with his blood then, mm-hmm. but that was part of my point is I think that the ADHD was deeply, deeply affected and impacted. Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting point. And yes, you can't go back in time. And that's one of those mommy moments where we feel like, oof, you know, like I maybe I missed something. But of course, everybody missed that something. 
nobody that's never part of an ADHD battery <laughs> to <laughs> test blood sugar, right? But you're figuring out something very important for him. And I think the data that you're basically collecting of postprandially after lunch, he's not doing that well in terms of performance. And it seems linked to high blood sugars. And that seems linked to timing of dosage. Oh my gosh. I just had such an insight, Joanne. I am going to, I'm going to ask at school. I have no idea if this will have any sway. I'm going to ask them to schedule him to have PE after lunch. Mm. Mm-hmm. In the coming years, Mm -hmm. I really think it would make a huge difference. Probably. I mean, I think that all of these things are their own blood sugar nightmares. Like PE is always challenging. And like, how much do you leave for free if he's just going to step right into PE and he has a ton of insulin on board from lunch, right? You'll figure it out. But that's not a bad idea because what you're seeing is exercise helps, right? And, And that's true for all kids, but it's more true for some people. And so um, it's good that you can see that. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. One of the hardest things about diabetes is the food. Your kid has to eat, but there's so many foods that send them high or are tricky to dose for. And at the same time, you don't want to restrict their food choices. You want them to be able to feel like every other kid. To help you navigate the many challenges of food and eating with type 1, I've created the Sweet Talk Snack Course, a free mini course that gives you six bite-sized lessons to support your T1D kid in having a healthy relationship with food and eating. Sign up for it at DiabetesSweetTalk.com. You've already identified one pathway, which is sort of the legal medical pathway, which is you have to figure out how to get the school. To me, you don't have to ask permission. You have to get your school orders from the endo to say the parent gets to make changes (laughs) so that you can have, you know, and in sixth grade and middle school, um, that's when there starts to be more shift in who's in charge of um, things like dosing. Right. And I I definitely know some kids who even younger because their parents are communicating with them via phone, those kids are dosing themselves. So I think you need to shore up your endo orders so that you have more power to make those decisions that are good and important for him. Right. The question becomes in some way, what I'm hearing from you is how to talk to him about it, what to do in those moments where he's high and how to discuss that with him. And part of it is, yeah, we get frustrated as parents. That's real when our children are out of control and can't listen and all the things are off. You have a trampoline. It seems like you need to make use of that. And I would say I would lean into sending him out to that trampoline so he doesn't have to eat a carb-free dinner. So I'm, I'm raising another issue, right? Because there is a much higher risk of eating disorder or disordered eating behaviors with kids with type one. We all think of eating disorders as being like a girl who looks at her thighs in the mirror and says, I'm fat. It's really a lot. If you look at diagnostically what the criteria are, a lot of it is about how much time it doesn't, this isn't exactly how it's written in the diagnostic and statistical manual, but it's really about how much time do you spend thinking about this? And if you think about it in diabetes, we spend a lot of time thinking about food. 
So it's a bit of a setup already. And when you pile restriction on top of that, which is really at the root of all eating disorders, you're kind of adding fuel to the fire. So I'm not saying that your son is headed for an eating disorder. I'm saying to have a more positive relationship with food and eating, you want to try to avoid, we can't always, those moments where we say it needs to be a carb-free dinner. And so lean into that trampoline, right? So that you make that solution be the answer as little as possible. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And to just, I'm going to give a plug here because I think that this will be posted before the end of October, I'm doing my webinar at the end of October, my workshop called Let Them Eat Cake, which is really all about this. So it's a free workshop. If folks get on my website, you can register for that because this is such a powerful and important issue with our type one kids, right? Well, well, part of my question has to do also with just his eating in general, because we have always tried to tell him he can eat what he wants mm -hmm. to. We just have to cover it appropriately with insulin. Mm -hmm. And yet my kid really is an eater and he likes to eat. And so I have to also remind him like, actually, no, you have to eat within proportion. Mm -hmm. You can have one hamburger. You can't have two. Mm -hmm. You can have that piece of cake or you can have mm -hmm. the ice cream. You can't have both. And so you know, there's also the how to inspire really moderate eating, you mm -hmm. know, good, good eating habits altogether, but moderation. Yeah. It sounds like you're doing that. I think there are a few things to pay attention to. One is I would be wondering, and by the way, I'm still holding this question of how to talk to him about what happened, like how he gets like non-thinking and kind of sassy when he's high. So we've bookmarked that, but we've, we've taken off in a different direction. So let's go this way. I'm wondering why he wants to eat so much because the question I have is, is he that hungry? Right. Um, Probably because, not. Okay. Okay. Cause there, might say he is, but I don't think so. Uh -huh. Anything else? Uh -huh. So it's something to pay attention to because people with type one, some subset of them don't um, experience satiety. So they don't experience a sense of fullness um, and that there is another medication, which unfortunately is given by shot um, called amylin, which some people with diabetes will take. And I don't even know if it's prescribable to children. I don't, I have no idea. Um, but some people with diabetes will take it because they never feel full. And so I think it's something to just notice and pay attention to over time with him. And I think, yeah, talking about moderate eating is reasonable. Like this is, this is, we all have a nice sized lunch, let's say, and then we go run and play. And then when you're ready in a few hours, there's a snack. A-M-A-L-I-N, Amelin. You know, I don't know. I'll look it up. Yeah. Um, your endo will know and your endo will know whether or not it's pediatric uh, um, safe. And my guess is it's not. But, um, but it's just something to know about, mm -hmm. right? That there's a, there is some correlation with lack of satiety, with lack of fullness uh, with some people with type one. So that you could be looking at either just a kid who's a super robust lover of food, which is a real thing and how great, right? He's gonna get a lot of joy in his life from eating and food and how to make that moderate and balanced with everything else in his life, right? So that it takes up an appropriate amount of the pie chart that is his brain. 
Um, and how much of it with question mark is related to hunger or his inability to notice when he's full. Yeah. So it's I, super helpful. Mm -hmm. Super helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think also thinking about, and I'm guessing this happens in your house, like the way you described your meals during COVID, but, um, making sure that he has good eating habits. So in other words, does he sit down when he eats? Right. So like kids who are eating people who are eating as they move through space, walking around eating, they don't have the signals that they need as much about satiety, right? They're not cued in. If you're watching TV while you eat, if you're reading a book while you eat, if you're playing a video game while you eat, you're not paying attention to your fullness, right? So those are things that um, you can perhaps shift. They might already be in place that way, so it's fine. But if meals are happening in front of television, let's stop that so that he can actually notice his fullness. Because if we don't pay attention, that's when it's really easy to put more food into the system. Yeah, yeah. The meals, the meals I think are okay. It's that we do a lot of snacking, but, uh -huh. also, but also that like we ate a meal, are you done and are you, you know, are you hungry? Like, like have you been satisfied? So uh -huh. we'll pay attention to that. Yeah. And I think snacking is fine, but I would make sure the snacking happens in a conscious, deliberate way, as much as is reasonable and possible. Children, you know, sometimes are running around and they need a snack and we hand it to them. But if you're home, sit down, right? Don't do it, you know, in a distracted way. Do it in a conscious way so that there are behaviors attached to food that are thoughtful. Yeah. So let me move to this question that you named about what to do when blood sugar is high and he's sassy. Um, so this is tricky, I think, because I've worked with adults with type one who will name that when their parents would say, every time you're high, you're mean, right? That they did not like that at all, right? So the question is how to help our kids hook up the knowledge, right? The self-knowledge that when that, that that their blood sugar affects them in a particular way, right? Without sounding blaming um, and without them internalizing in a way of the of sort of their badness, because I've seen that happen. Um, so I think that some of this is about talking about it not in the moment, right? It sounds like you're working very hard to try to stay calm when you have a sassy kid whose blood sugar is 300. Okay, so let's give you tons of gold stars for that. <laughs> Sadly, there's not a, a like universal way of doing that. Um, and, and then I think asking him, noticing to him, like I noticed that after the fact, when his blood sugar is a nice steady, you know, 120, 150, right? To say, hey, yesterday when you were 300, I noticed you were having trouble hearing me when I asked you to blah, blah, blah. What's happening for you then? I love it. I am guessing you will get no cogent answer. That's okay. Keep asking the question, right? Just keep noticing to him that it's happening because it's going to start to hook something up for him so that he will start to know and recognize himself. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. We had an incident yesterday where he said something to me, not related to this at all. Um, and this morning it was, it was actually exactly that kind of conversation. Cause this morning I said to him, you remember yesterday when you asked me that question, why did you ask? Mm -hmm. 
And it was really, it, it was exactly modeling. Like we weren't in this situation. It wasn't um, a thing that happened. And he's like, oh, because you did this, this, this. And it was super, it was super sweet. I was like, oh, okay. So I can imagine that being a model also for asking about his blood sugar. Yeah. It's also, frankly, as your kids head into the teen years, I have these conversations with my daughter a lot, right? Because if I talk to her in the moment, she's so aggravated with me. But if I can come back later and be like, huh, I noticed this thing about your blood sugar. What happened there? You know, what did you do? What happened? How can we fix it? It makes us into just like partners of theirs as they are thinking through what's happening and what their experience is. And I think, you know, that's us at our best. Do I do that all the time? Of course not right? Can she answer me all the time? Definitely not. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's a goal, but it helps in creating positive relationship around these conversations that can be so hard about diabetes. Well, I also realize I'm so curious about what is going on for him. And I think you're right. I can ask him and he may or may not be able to say it in the moment, but if we start, if I start asking him to pay attention to it, he might get some insight because ultimately it is about him, you know, of course I want him to rebel and be his own person and take care <laughs> of him. It's hard. Yeah, it is. It is hard. Mm. Thank you so much, Ellie Sheva, for coming on the show and asking these really robust questions. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you for being such an amazing resource. And, um, Thank you for taking your knowledge and your experience and offering this gift to so many people who are going through it. That's lovely. Thanks. Thanks again for listening today. If you want answers to your questions about parenting a kid with type one, I'd like to invite you to join our live recording sessions so you can ask your questions in person. Not only will you get the support you need and deserve, but through the podcast, you'll be helping other T1D parents to know that they're not alone with the challenges they're facing. To join one of my live recording sessions, simply go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Again, go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register.